0: You're tuned in to the New Life Fellowship audio service. Here at New Life, we believe in facilitating a worship service that reflects the abundant new life that Jesus wants to give us in John 10.10. As you listen to today's sermon, feel free to share points that stand out to you on social media and use the hashtag NewLifeAU to join the national conversation. Enjoy today's message.
1: I pray that you would give the Spirit permission To go back and have mastery over some 20, maybe even 30 years of history in this moment, God. Today, I pray in the name of Jesus that someone would be loosed from something that has bound them for decades now. I pray in the name of Jesus that your resurrecting power would be made manifest in this place today. For you asked the prophet, can these dry bones live? So now, Father, I come in alignment with Ezekiel's heart and I prophesy to the wind. Animate the dead places in us. Revive the dry places in us. Restore the broken places in us. Renovate the torn down places in us and rebuild the ruins within us. In the name of Jesus. I pray it. Amen. Part one of stuck, how to find healing for your brokenheartedness. We're going to begin the series in Esther chapter three, and then we're going to hopscotch over to chapter seven of the same book of Esther. What I ask during these next few moments is that you attempt with your entire being to remain focused on what God is trying to say to you personally. I'm going to ask that for the next few moments, you pray and ask the spirit to give you supernatural focus. If you're weary or tired, like you're feeling drowsy and sleepy, I want you to fight that because I believe that there is a force out there who would prefer for you not to hear what you're about to hear. If you're not feeling good and you're getting this all of the sudden feeling to dismiss yourself and leave, I want you to fight that because there's a force that would rather you not be here. And finally, if you're in a space where you don't know if you want to hear a word from God or not, I need you to fight that. For there's a force out there who would prefer for you not to hear what you're about to hear. Esther chapter three reading verses 1 and 6, then we're going to hopscotch over to chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. Once again, Esther 3, 1 through 6. Skipping on over to chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, I'm reading from the New English Translation. Verse 1 is on the screen. Please follow along with me. Sometime later, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha. Can you say Haman? Uh, in, the orig- in the original text, is pronounced Haman, the Agagite, exalting him and setting his position above that of all the officials who were with him. As a result, all the king's servants who were at the king's gate were bowing and paying homage to Haman. Someone say Haman. For the king had so commanded. However, Mordecai did not bow, nor did he pay him homage. Verse three reads, then the servants of the king who were at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why are you violating the king's commandments? Verse four, and after they had spoken to him day after day without his paying any attention to them, they informed Haman, someone say Haman. Stay with me now. They informed Haman to see whether this attitude on Mordecai's part would be permitted. Furthermore, he had disclosed to them that he was a Jew. Verse 5 reads, when Haman, someone say Haman, saw that Mordecai was not bowing or paying homage to him, he was filled with rage. Verse 6, but the thought of striking out against Mordecai alone was repugnant to him. That's interesting. The thought of just getting him alone was disgusting to him. For he had been informed of the identity of Mordecai's people. So Haman, someone say Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, that is, the people of Mordecai, who were in all the kingdom of Persia. Skipping over to chapter 7 and verse 9. I know we're reading more than usual, but it will be worth it. Harbona, one of the king's eunuchs, said, Indeed, there is the gallows that Haman, someone say Haman, made for Mordecai who spoke out in the king's behalf. It stands near Haman's house, someone say Haman, and is 75 feet high. The king said, hang him on it. Verse 10, we'll finale here. So they hang the Haman, say Haman, on the very gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. The king's rage then abated. With the help of the Holy Spirit, I want to speak to you and memorialize Haman underneath the title, Stuck In trauma. Stuck in not drama, but stuck in trauma. Heavenly Father, may all that you've said happen right here. In Jesus' name. Stuck in trauma. I've been studying a film phenomenon. Any movie lovers? Anyone into film? Anybody like film more than television? Any one of those? I'm one of those. I like film more than I like television, but I like critical film uh, assessments, observations, film theory, I love that. And there's something called villain sympathy in films. Now villain sympathy is an interesting phenomenon because it goes against the grain of what some would call a logical conclusion. The logical conclusion when you're experiencing the character of a villain should be that you hate the villain. Uh, many of us have watched films to where once the film ends, we so despise the villain that anytime we see that actor or actress in a different film, the same emotions come back. It could be a rom-com. It could be an action adventure. It doesn't matter. You hate their guts. As if the villain that they played was actually the person that they are. Like if you saw them on the street today, you might get violent for no apparent reason because you so despise the character of that film. But the phenomenon of villain sympathy is such that the writers do such a good job of giving you the character's full context or full breadth of life that you actually begin to identify with the villain to the point where you sympathize with that character before the film is finished. To where there's part of you that begins to even root for the villain because you so sympathize and identify with their narrative. Now I know some of you out there are asking, man, I was sure would like if he would show some examples. Well, I'm glad you asked, <laughs> because I came with some examples. I don't know how many of you, now this kind of breaks the film genre, but we also see this phenomenon show up in television series. I don't know how many of you got into prison break at all. But there's a villain in prison break named T-Bag. Now, T-Bag is probably one of the most sinister characters I've ever seen on a screen. I mean, there's nothing good. I mean, this guy is just incarnate evil. But there comes a place in the season, in the first season, where, or actually in the second season, where they take you back to T-Bag's childhood. And they show you in vivid detail what his father did to him when he was a little boy. And all of a sudden, you start saying, man. It all makes sense. What about this character in a recent release from Marvel? Character named Bushmaster. Now, Bushmaster is Luke Cage on the Luke Cage series, and uh, the guy at first is probably one of the baddest fighters you've ever seen. You just like, my goodness, he just put a whooping on Luke Cage, right? But he is also sinister as well. Like he takes out a whole cartel, a whole gang by himself uh, in very gory fashion. And after that, you're like, no, I can't, I can't mess with no Bushmaster. I'm good on that. But then you see what happened to him when he was a little boy and how his mother was burned to death. And now you know why he's going after the Stokes family. And it all makes sense. Or what about Black Panther, right? Black Panther, the character named Killmonger, right? Now to all my ladies here, I need you to stay out of the flesh, stay out of the flesh. The Bible says, flee fornication, but that is the only sin by which one destroys their own body. That's what the good book says, flee fornication. Uh, I use the Killmonger reference here because Killmonger seems like he's just an angry black man a rebel without a cause, until they, they tied the pieces together from the introductory scenes to the fact that that little boy playing basketball that night was him. And he was orphaned and forced to survive on his own, and then it all makes sense. Or finally, my favorite villain in cinematic history, his name is Bane, Bane played by Tom Hardy. Now, Bane is a warrior philosopher, uh, a villain that not only has supernatural strength, but he also has an amazing intellect. Uh, He'll look at you and say things like, oh, yes, I was wondering what would break first, your spirit or your body. And then he would commence to break your back. I mean, the guy (laughs) is just low down, you know? Speak of the devil, and he shall appear. He enters into rooms like that. But it's not until later on in the film when you see that the scars that he now has that caused him to wear this mask were created because he decided to save a little girl in prison. And he suffered greatly and was even excommunicated because that little girl's father didn't want her to love a man so disfigured. And you look at Bane, who wants to purge the world of evil, and you say, oh, yeah, it kind of makes sense. I'm talking about villain empathy. And at that moment where you feel empathy for these evil characters, what you're really experiencing is an increase in what is called trauma awareness. Somebody say trauma now, trauma awareness is simply you being able to not only identify with the actions or behaviors of a person, but more importantly, you're able to identify with what happened to cause them to act that way. Seeing the world through a lens of trauma is not simply looking at a behavior and judging it, but it's asking further questions on what caused that behavior to become a natural part. Of that person's life. And what I want to suggest is that this villain sympathy, the lifting of trauma awareness, happened to me as I read the story of Haman recently. For Esther 3 and verse 5 reads, of this great villain that many of us have been taught to hate, As we've grown up in school, when Haman saw that Mordecai was not bowing or paying homage to him, he was filled with rage. And at that point, you think, see, here's just another power hungry villain trying to pick on the little guy that doesn't have any power. But I want to suggest it's way deeper than that. For Esther chapter three and verse six informs us that Haman is really not interested in Mordecai. There's something deeper and darker that he's wrestling with. For he says the thought of striking out against Mordecai alone was repugnant or disgusting to him. It wasn't Mordecai. It's what Mordecai represented. Let me say it different. It's what Mordecai triggered Yeah, that word has come up in our vernacular of late to where a lot of people are talking about being triggered, having past traumas brought to the forefront of their mind because something just happened that took me back, transported me back to that moment of great distress. Something triggered Haman. What was being triggered in Haman? I believe it was an unhealed wound. Haman has an unhealed wound. My question is, what's yours? For every human being at some point receives a wound. It is a deep, dark wound that ends up driving your behavior for the rest of your life unless you identify that wound and and somehow gain some support in finding healing for that wound. We can find what Haman's wound is in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 7 and 8. Please pay attention to this verse. This is very profound and powerful to what's triggering Haman. Then Saul struck down the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur, which is next to Egypt. He captured King Agag of the Amalekites alive. But he executed all Agag's people with the sword. Remember, Haman is called an Agagite, son of Hamadatha. There's something about trauma. Trauma gets passed down from generation to generation. Yet some of the things that you saw in your household growing up actually had nothing to do with you. You felt guilty and ashamed for it, but really it had something to do with the past. Haman has an unhealed traumatic history because these Jews, which were once Israelites, which were once Hebrews, these individuals tried to exterminate my people, my family, and for the rest of our existence, my family had to grow up underneath the poverty line. My family didn't have all of the resources that we wish we had. We didn't have big cities with huge walls. We weren't protected. For the rest of my life, I had to hear stories of how we used to be great. For in the book of Numbers, God says to Moses, And I shall make your people greater than Agag and his people. They used to be great. Haman used to have an awesome heritage, but at some point, some foreigners came along and destroyed that heritage. And for the rest of his life, he's carrying a wound based on this traumatic history. Now, here's what we have to level with ourselves. The reason why you have to get the victory over your wound is because if you don't, your wound will poison you to the fact or to the place where it not only destroys your ability to love other human beings, but it will actually destroy the divine purpose that was placed inside of you. Right now, there is a war going on inside of your psyche. On one side, it's the trauma that you went through. On the other side, it's the purpose that God is calling you to. And right now, those two things are at war. And if you don't get the victory over your trauma, your trauma will definitely defeat the purpose that's over your life. See, we only talk about the fact that there are two sides of us. There's a sinful side of me and a good side of me. All I want to suggest here today is that I'm starting to understand that all sin is, is unhealed trauma. See, at the fall in the Garden of Eden, there was a traumatic experience. It was called nakedness. They never knew that they were naked. And then that starts this cycle of always trying to overcompensate for what God already promised you. Trying to put it together, fix it, work it out. Isn't that what the serpent got Eve to start thinking about before she took the fruit? Listen, if you eat this, then you will be like God. Although God had made her in his image. So your trauma is trying to rob you of your divine purpose, and it's battling with that purpose every day of each week. Instead of trying to fight against sin, I wonder what would happen in your life if you started fighting against your trauma. Oh, different battlefield for sure. Not so easy to over-spiritualize your trauma. Not so easy to drown your trauma in doctrines and, and ceremonies, rites and rituals. Not so easy to drown your trauma by reading the Bible and hoping that people see that you have biblical knowledge and wisdom. It's not so easy to defeat trauma with religiosity. No, if you're going to beat your trauma, you have to truly have a divine encounter with a healer who has been touched by your trauma. There are three things that your trauma is currently threatening. And today, God wants to warn you simply by saying, if you don't. Let me heal that trauma. This trauma will destroy you." Haman's not mad at Mordecai. He's mad that the Jews tried to exterminate his family. That's why it would not suffice for him just to kill Mordecai. That's why he goes to the king of Persia and creates a narrative and a story and gets permission to exterminate the people who tried to exterminate his people. This is a trauma that is unhealed and it's stuck with him and he can't get the victory. So the first thing it does to Haman is it blinds him of seeing how blessed he is. It blinds him From seeing how blessed he is. Notice in the text, Esther 3 verse 1, we get introduced to Haman when the Bible says sometime later, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, exalting him and setting his position above that of all the officials. Notice this. We read about, about villains in the Bible, and because of how we've been wired, we don't think God is actually working on their behalf. When you read the book of Esther, you thought God was only trying to save the Jews and Esther, Mordecai, etc. But I want you to know that the love of God is for everybody. The rain and the sun, it falls on the just and the unjust. There is no such thing as a person that God is not trying to save. When you are reading this story, the next time you read about Haman, I want you to notice that God is trying to save Haman from his wound. And you know what God tries to do? Haman, I know what happened to you. I know it has hurt you and created a deep wound that you can't get the victory over. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you success in achievement. Haman is not just promoted because he worked hard. Haman is blessed because God is trying to save him. But notice his promotion means nothing because his wound talks louder than God's blessings. And I want to pour into somebody's spirit today right now in this space. You are more blessed than you think. God is actually doing more for you than you realize and recognize there is a plan for you that God has in his mind that is full of thoughts of goodness and not of evil to give you a hope and a future. There is something God's trying to promote you to. There is something that God's trying to call you into. There is a big fat blessing waiting for you, but you can't notice it because of your trauma. Why is it that although everybody bows down before Haman, one person can make him feel he's not getting the respect he deserves? It is because that person triggers his trauma. And let me pour this into your spirit. The reason why certain people have so much control over your mood and your temperament Is because it's not simply that they get on your nerves. It's that this person has a very unique ability to trigger your deepest trauma. That's why they impact you so much. That's why they can shift your mood just by walking in the room. They sit way on the other side, but all of a sudden you in your feelings. Why? Because they just triggered your trauma. And although God could seat you at the welcome table... You would get up and leave because of how they make you feel. The Bible says that he's preparing a table before you in the presence of your enemies. See, what God is trying to do is not eradicate your enemies. He's trying to bless you while you're surrounded by your enemies. He's going to make them sit there and watch you eat and watch you drink and watch you celebrate and watch you prosper and watch you increase in what God has called you to but you can't see it why? because of your trauma has you stuck and arrested to where God can prepare things for you and you would relinquish the blessing all because there is a traumatic thing in your environment triggering that post-traumatic stress but it gets worse if you don't get the victory over your trauma it will steal your satisfaction it won't just blind you of your blessing but it will steal your satisfaction esther 3 in verse 2 reads as a result all the king's servants who were at the king's gate were bowing and paying homage to haman for the king had so commanded notice that the king blesses haman like this there is a king trying to bless you however Mordecai did not bow nor did he pay him homage that's really trying to tell you that although the king blessed Haman like this there was something else that stole his satisfaction now to really understand this next point you know what you got to get you have to understand the meaning of Haman's name and the meaning of Mordecai's name Haman means magnificent He was called into something magnificent. But he gets stuck because of a man whose name means little. The name Mordecai means little man. So why is it that someone who's been called into something magnificent is overturned by something so little? It is because it triggered that trauma. And what trauma does is it causes you to exaggerate the impact that people are actually having on your life. Mordecai was insignificant to him. Mordecai couldn't touch Haman. Mordecai couldn't disrupt what Haman was doing. God was obviously promoting uh, Haman in the Persian kingdom. He was the second greatest person in the entire empire. Haman had more power than Esther had. But he got overturned and distracted by something so little. And that is happening to you in your life. And I declare it in the name of Jesus that you must get the victory over this little stuff that the enemy puts in your path. It's actually not as big as you think. It's not as bad as you think. It's not as gruesome as you think. It's not as gross as you think. It's just that it's triggering your trauma. And although God has a magnificent plan for your life, you will not receive it because you get distracted by little things, it will steal your satisfaction. Do you know that it's possible that the reason why you can't seem to find joy and happiness is because you haven't dealt with that unhealed wound from your past? Now you've been blaming it on God. But what God has sent me to tell you is even if he gave you everything you asked for, you'd feel just as dissatisfied. Think about every prayer you've prayed to God that you think is going to bring you into joy and happiness. I want you to hear me. If God gave you everything you asked for, you'd still be dissatisfied because it's your trauma that is holding you back. The final thing that you have to understand about trauma is that if you don't deal with it, it'll blind you, it'll steal from you, and it will derail your destiny. Esther 7, verse 9 reads this way. Harbona, one of the king's eunuchs, said, Indeed, there is the gallows that Haman made for Mordecai who spoke out in the king's behalf. It stands near Haman's home and is 75 feet high. The king said, hang him on it. Haman dies outside of his blessing. Can I repeat that again? Haman dies just outside of his blessing. The Bible says that he built the gallows right outside of his house. The king says, go hang him on it. Now watch how gruesome this death is. When you read hanged, you thought someone having a rope around their neck and then falling through a wooden base until they were strangled to death. But the original does not say hanged. It actually says impaled see, the Persians were actually the ones who created crucifixion. But they would not crucify like the Romans did, because the Romans wanted to prolong death. The first form of crucifixion was they would set you up on a post that was sharpened at the tip. And they would place you on it enough for you to stick and stay. And then gravity would do the rest of the work. Until finally, one of your major organs were punctured or ruptured, and then you would bleed out to death. How did Haman have such a gruesome ending right outside of his blessing? Because of his trauma. And I want you to know, and this is a very somber warning. If you don't get the victory over your trauma, you will suffer a gruesome ending. It will not only destroy you, it will torture you to death. It will rob you of sanity. It will keep you from building any types of sustainable relationships. Intimacy out the door. You won't be able to build a meaningful connection with another human being no matter how hard you try. And that type of torture might be the deepest type of torture. When you're looking out at the world trying to figure out what is wrong with me. I don't understand. Why am I always in this repetitive cycle? Why can't I feel happiness and joy? Why don't any positive emotions come to my mind? Why don't my dreams come true? Why don't my aspirations come near me? It is because you're being kept outside of your blessing. You're being tortured just outside of your blessing because of your trauma. The Bible says there's an enemy out there who looks to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan has no power over you. All Satan can do is capitalize on your trauma. Man, let's take power away from Satan right now. All he can do is capitalize on what your father did when you were little. Or what your father didn't do when you were young. All he could do is capitalize on what your mother did when you were little. Or what your mother didn't do when you were young. All he could do is capitalize on what your sibling did or didn't do or your uncle and aunt did or didn't do. All he could do is capitalize on what your grandparents did or didn't do. All he could do is capitalize on what someone did to wound you. Could have been a friend. Could have been a foe. But all he can do is observe and say, I got it. If I can keep this from being healed. They will never get free. And the destiny and purpose that God has over their life will never come to pass. God tried to bless Haman. He was blinded to it. His satisfaction was taken And his destiny was derailed. And you know what? He had a good excuse. I'm not trying to say that your trauma is not valid. You have a good excuse. If you want to today, you can decide to leave this space and say, listen, it wasn't my fault. It was done to me. I don't care what you say about what God's plan is. This was not right. I don't want to be in this space anymore because... God allowed it to happen. You can go on that run. If you'd like, you would have an excuse. But the Bible says an enemy has done this. God did not do that. Sadly, human choice did that. Human choice chose wrong, and it hurts you. And now you have this wound that keeps on bringing you back each time you try to run away. And if we don't get the victory, it will destroy us just outside of our blessing. As a musician begins to play, this trauma awareness training that I've been going through has literally changed the way I even read the Bible. Because the facilitator said, there's one way that you can instantly increase your trauma IQ. There's one practice that you can use every day to raise your trauma awareness. There's one way that you can start seeing people better, seeing them through the lens of trauma. And as you know, I love tips and tools, so I'm leaning forward in my seat. She has my undivided attention. She says, most people see a negative outcome or behavior, and their first question is, what's wrong with you? Someone cusses another person out, you hear it. Man, what's, what's their problem? What's wrong with them? Someone manipulates or lies, man, what's wrong with them? You see somebody fighting, brawling, angry all the time. What's, what's your problem? What's wrong with you? The facilitator said that's the wrong question to be asking trauma is not based upon what's wrong trauma is based upon what happened so when I see that person cuss another person out I don't look at them and say man what is wrong with you I say man what happened to you When I see a manipulative spirit or I see a person who's a pathological liar, I'm not saying, man, something's wrong with you. I'm saying something happened to you. When I see a person struggling with lust and they keep falling to drugs and other substances, I don't say what's wrong with you. I look at them and mourn because something happened to you. When I see people struggling every week, barely making it into the house of god trying their best to praise and worship but cannot find it within them to do so i am no longer a pastor who will look into a congregation and say what's wrong with you people doesn't god deserve the glory what's wrong with you people don't you know he woke you up this morning what's wrong with you people didn't he start you on your way No, instead, I will stand and I will allow my heart to feel empathy. And instead, I will say, what's happened to these people? What happened to you? I want you to think about the sin that you struggle with, and I want you not to say, God, I'm sorry, something's wrong with me. I want you to say, God, something happened to me. Because when God judges the people, when he comes back and and we're all afraid of the judgment. Why? Because we're afraid he'll see something wrong with us. I want you to know that God does not judge based on photographs. He judged based on movies. And he's seen your whole entire story. He's not looking at these moments when you fell. He knows what happened to you. And he's taking that in consideration. The problem is he loves you, which means he has to only move based upon your choice. And what I'm asking you to do today is to open up the very depths of your soul and to say, God, I do got issues, but I forgot what happened. Forced it out my mind. God, I have issues. I know what happened to me. But whatever you do, you must win the victory. Over your trauma if you don't you will remain stuck and you will not walk into the purpose and promise that God declared over you before you were formed in your mother's womb from the foundations of the world he had you in mind he is a master artist he is an amazing creative and he knew what he was doing when he thought about you the problem is you got hurt and that hurt has completely overwhelmed your life. But I pray today you would look back at Jesus and you would see how he ministers to people that hurt. Because the Bible says that a woman who was caught in adultery was brought before him and the whole crowd was asking, what's wrong with her? But Jesus knew what happened. Where are those that condemn you? Then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I know what happened. Rabbi, how did this man become blind? Did he sin or did his parents sin? What's wrong with him? No, 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 no. I know what happened. And today, God will be glorified as I heal him. To the lame man, he did not say, take up your bed and walk first. He said, your sins are forgiven you. But so that you might believe that I am who I say I am, rise, take up your bed and walk. And people were astounded because they thought Jesus fixed what was wrong. No, Jesus first fixed what happened. And before Jesus fixes what's wrong with you, He needs you to give him access to what happened. Because we're all stuck in trauma. And so at this time, I'm going to invite you to begin a journey with God, the creator. It's going to be a deep journey and a painful journey. It'll be a journey that challenges every part of you. There will be no stone that is left unturned. It will sound like this. Who will cry for the little boy, lost and all alone? Who will cry for the little boy abandoned without his own? Who will cry for the little boy, he cried himself to sleep? Who will cry for the little boy, he never had for keeps? Who will cry for the little boy, he walked the burning sand? And who will cry for the little boy, the boy inside the man? Who will cry for the little boy who knows well hurt and pain? Who will cry for the little boy he died again and again? Who will cry for the little boy, a good boy he tried to be? Who will cry for the little boy, the boy inside of me? There's a little girl and a little boy that's still crying inside of you. And as Antoine Fisher so poignantly penned, somebody has to cry for the little boy and somebody has to mourn for that little girl. Jesus is ready to start that process of grief and recovery with you. But you gotta be honest and admit that there's an unhealed wound and that something happened. And so I believe there's a person under the sound of my voice That feels the Holy Spirit calling you to take this journey. And what I want you to do is I need you to courageously stand where you are. I need you to stand where you are. There's some trauma that you're stuck in. I don't want you to stand out of habit. This is not one of those appeals. Please feel comfortable if you need to remain seated. But for those that you feel like the Spirit is talking to you and saying, we got to get this thing right, but I need some deep and profound access to heal what happened. You've been asking me to heal what's wrong, but I want to get at what happened. Because if we can fix what happened, we will automatically fix what's wrong. As you're standing, I just want you to begin praying in your heart. I'm going to ask our praise and worship team to come forward. They're going to sing a song, and all you're going to do is you're going to remain standing, and you're going to try to breathe in deeply. Let's take an inhale together. All who are standing, just inhale deeply. Exhale slowly. Let's inhale deeply. Exhale slowly. And I don't want you to cross your arms. I don't want you to cross your arms in any way. I want you to leave yourself open. If it's easier for you to just hold out your hands to your side, open up the palm of your hands, do so. But I don't want you to cross anything. The body language before God is I'm open. I'm open. I got some trauma that needs to be healed. I'm open. And as they minister to this song, that's all you're praying. God, show me. God, reveal. God, heal. God, restore. God, renew. God, please speak into the void that's in my life. You got to heal this trauma because I want the blessing that you've planned for me. I want the blessing you planned for me.
2: You hold my every moment you calm my raging seas you walk with me through fire you heal all my disease i try
0: listening to the New Life Fellowship audio service. We pray that today's message was a blessing to you and that you will continue to tune in. New Life is located in the Seminary Chapel on the campus of Andrews University and our services are held every Saturday at 11:45 a.m. Keep up with the latest information about what's happening at New Life by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes and through our social media connections on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Simply type in New Life AU in the search bar and you'll find us. Until next time, may the Lord bless you with a new love, new integrity, new faith, and a new experience.